Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another Anatomy of Movie. We're talking Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, so stay tuned as we talk about Johnny Depp and the latest in his franchise. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're here. We're swashbuckling. <laughs> I guess you can consider us pirates because we steal your time. Arg. Uh, but hopefully you enjoy it nonetheless. We give you as much treasure as you guys bring us. Um, we have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. Yo, uh, ho, ho. I'm Phil Svitek. Out of commission today is uh, out of this franchise is Marissa Serafini. Although, ironically, she loves this franchise, so it's a shame that she is not here to discuss it with us. Um, first, as always, we assume that you've seen the movie, so if you haven't, um, go check it out unless you don't mind being spoiled. Secondly, in our description, there's a link to our rundown so you can follow along. There's a lot of neat stuff um, through our research that we found. So that way, if um, you know we don't always get to everything, that way y- you know certain facts that, that sure. we were able to uh, and you can to see, you know, the, the depth of our research. That's right. It's actually, uh, this one's quite long, actually. Yeah. Um, just because, obviously, it has such a such a vast history. But as we always do, let's start with overall impressions. Um, let's kick it to you. Okay. Well, um, you know, we were, just before we started, I was telling you, uh, I actually uh, revisited all the Pirates movies, um, which is no small task, uh, all things no. considered. There, you know, there, there was four preceding this, um, and the first three are, are uh, they become longer and longer. In fact, at World's End, uh, perhaps the most bloated uh, is almost three hours uh, or runtime. So, um, but I felt it worth it. Yeah, you know, I like this franchise as a whole. Um, in this one, Dead Men Tell No Tales, uh, you know, I didn't find this as overly bloated as World's End. In fact, did you, did you know that this is the the shortest runtime of, of the entire series? So it I took did enjoy that. Movies. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and I also felt that there were some interesting story threads here. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed the fact that we have uh, an older uh, Elizabeth and Will Turner's son mm-hmm. uh, who's, who's out to, uh, to break the curse. He's looking for Poseidon's trident to break the curse for his dad, who's uh, captain of the Flying Dutchman. And uh, so, he, so his dad can come home. And I sort of like that, that there's heart in there. There's a family story um, with that. So I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed getting a little bit of backstory, uh, again, from Barbosa and Johnny Depp, uh, learning a little bit more about them. Um, also, we have a new villain, uh, Javier Bardem, who seemed to relish being on set and having a good time. And I thought he was he was a pretty good villain who was finding who was seeking to wreak vengeance upon our Captain Jack Sparrow for literally uh, ruining his life. Um, they introduce us to a new heroine who I really like this actress and I like this character, uh, Karina Smith. And. I think that she, in a sense, capably filled the shoes of, of Kieran Knightley, um, who was in the first three. Um, and and she, she uses science. Uh, she uses the stars and wit to help. Uh, she, too, is looking for a missing father. Um, you know, so there's lots happening. And that's one thing about this franchise is that there's always many things going on, pieces of the puzzle that they try to put together. Um 
unfortunately for me, that's where we sort of become, because I just recently have seen all these movies, for me anyways, this is where the movie sort of kind of, from a story perspective, it becomes sort of a mess. And it suffers from what I now call, I call it Rogue One Syndrome, meaning that the writer, in this case, uh, Jeff Nathanson, he had some good stories to work from, from, from previous writers. It appeared that he inherited some stories to work on. But what he, the cardinal sin he commits is by not maybe doing his research and watching the previous Pirates movies. I'm going to reference At World's End um, this whole thing about backstory with Jack Sparrow and his compass, right? I think it's a great idea to focus on. Yet, this whole thing about Jack giving up his compass and this causes this ripple effect that brings back Salazar. Look, if, you wa- if you've watched at World's End, you lose count as to how many hands that compass goes through aside from Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, again, it's a bloated movie. It's very convoluted, but again, that compass... It, it's, it, it even ends up in the villain's hands of the East India Trading Company. So that was sort of kind of like bothering me. I go, we should have seen Salazar, according to this movie, a heck of a lot earlier. The other thing that they seem to have forgotten, or at least maybe Nathanson thought that the audience was going to forget, is the reason why Will Turner is now captain of the Flying Dutchman. And it wasn't by necessarily choice Uh, And again, if you remember, everything was leading up to Jack Sparrow actually sort of kind of was thinking I could be an eternal pirate. But at that point, Will Turner had been stabbed in the heart by Davy Jones and he was dying. And it was Jack Sparrow who lifted up Will Turner's hand to shoot the, the heart of Davy Jones. And then the curse went on to Will Turner to keep him alive. So if, in a sense, if you break this curse, it's still not going to erase, at least to my knowledge, because they don't ever bring it up in this movie, the fact that he has a hole in his heart the size of a saber, you know, he's he could potentially die. So they don't try to fix that. But, hey, you know what? Continuity, schmontinuity. I mean, at the end, it's all about, you know, trying to make some money. Uh, and it And in the end, it was the end of the movie that saved it for me. Um, I felt that, you know, it made me realize how important Karen Knightley and Orlando Bloom as Will and Elizabeth are to this franchise. Um, you know, the first three movies really aren't about Captain Jack Sparrow. It really is about their relationship coming together, falling in love and trying between all this mayhem that's going on around them to try to develop this relationship. And you learn that Elizabeth and Will are literally and figuratively the heart of the first three movies. They really are. You cheer from them. You like them. They're good actors. They own their roles. I love them. So for me, you know, their chemistry really works. And to see them show up at the end made the movie for me. Um, Dead Men Tells No Tales hangs its pirate's hat on the hope that we'll see Elizabeth 
and Will together again, and that's where it delivers. The disenfranchised for me became franchisable again, and that's where I really felt that the movie worked a lot. That's what brought it home for me. Mm-hmm. So, well, I had uh, overall, I enjoyed this experience. Uh, I will say this: this was my first pirates movie. So for me, all those <laughs> th- all those plot holes were non-existent. It's as if I recommend to the audience. Uh, find your own trident-like MacGuffin that gets rid of your entire knowledge of the movies, and you will enjoy it just the same. Uh, I, I do credit it. You know, all those things that you mentioned, um, I recognize that there's tie-ins left and right, and uh, um, you know, which is fine. I, and as, as I watched it, I knew there were some references that I didn't get, but I also didn't need it. Right. And so, conversely, when there were plot holes... I didn't. I wasn't aware of them. Right. Okay. And and so overall, it made it fun. Uh, you know, even though I've not seen the pirate movies, I know Captain Jack Sparrow is. I know a little bit of the lore. I know. I know Keira Knightley. I know Orlando Bloom. I know their involvement in it. And so I kind of. And, and plus, just the movie itself sets up the stakes nicely. Sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think as a standalone movie, it works well. As you're mentioning in this five franchise. Um, version maybe not as much, uh, but I had I, to be honest. I actually kind of thought about. It. I was like, oh, what have I been missing? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm like Jesus. How, how where did you? Were you in Davy's locker, David Jones's locker, that just, you missed the first floor? Just never or got around the first to it. Three? Just never got around to it. How did you at least escape um, um, Curse of the Black Pearl? I'm very much. Uh, <laughs> I'm very much of of the mentality like. For example, uh, TV, it happens a lot with me, where someone's like, oh, you're not watching Game of Thrones, you're not watching this. And I say, well, it's not that I don't like the series, it's just, we're already on season, you know, at the time it used to be season two, season Mm -hmm. three. I'm like, I know I can go back, but you know what, (laughs) I'm a kind of keep it moving forward kind of guy, so I'll catch the next show. Right. Meaning, whatever the next thing is. So so with this, it just, uh, I just never got around to it. Um, If it Perhaps wasn't for Anatomy of a Movie. I don't think I've ever would have seen this movie. Seriously? Perhaps. Wow. But I, I enjoyed it. It was yeah. fun. I mean, I, I want to ask you something, too, because another another thing that I sort of had with this one is it played a lot more, cart- for lack of better words, I think cartoony could be the right word, than um, previous films, meaning... The guillotine. It seemed, and, well, yeah. it seemed to play... A lot more for kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I the, the audience that I saw it with, I, I, I went on a on a Saturday morning at about ten ten thirty show, um, and number one, I saw this uh, in XD with Dolby Atmos. All the money was up on screen again. It looked beautiful and it sounded amazing. Where I was more amazed is how many kids were in the theater. And actually applauding the movie um, f- f- through various stages. Like, they knew beat for beat, like, the characters. Um, when Orlando Bloom shows up, there was applause. When Kira Knightley shows up at the end, and they... I'm not kidding. Like, the, I was just... I was like, huh? Really? I said, wow. Um, I, I was I was, I was cheering for a surprised. different reason than the kids. <laughs> well, but... I, I mean, no, so... I don't know if there were a lot of kids in your audience, but there were more kids in my audience that I saw this movie with than, say, the past four 
times mm-hmm. I went to go see these pirate movies. So I, I don't know how your what your audience makeup was. Um, I think I went. I went randomly, so I forget when I went. Um, it was somewhat filled. I think I think I got there and the lights were already down, so I didn't take a look. I just kind of okay. got my seat. But um, you know, I, I I see the appeal of it, and that's part of what I enjoyed about it. There was a very good mix for me of humor and um, story, and I and I, I like adventure. I like you know Indiana Jones. I like. You know, I grew up watching Scooby Doo and all these various sure. aspects. And Same so, here. Um, I grew up watching Tom and Jerry, and so I don't mind those aspects. You know, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was kind of a big mainstream of Absolutely. being able to marry adult with comedy, um, in, in obviously in a very cartoonish uh-huh. way. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I was on par with it. Um, you know, I've read people's criticism of this movie. I agree in in many ways. Like. Captain Jack is just he's just a figurehead. He's not to me he doesn't obviously do much. Yeah, it yeah. So I get that criticism overall, but again, I didn't necessarily mind it. You know, and it's like I said at the top too, when you look at these movies, Jack Sparrow, Captain Jack Sparrow is is he's just the character who's who's em, who's embroiled in this, who gets wrapped up in this trying to angle out a way in which he can come out ahead. Um, and it's very interesting that he's really not the main character. Um, he's a character that the other characters may need for a means to an end. Now, some people have said that Jack Sparrow never learns, and and I, I will argue against that because there's an amazing pivotal moment in Dead Man's... Not in Dead Man's... Yeah, no, in Dead Man's Chest, the second Pirates movie, in which he has the opportunity to escape. Um, and he changes his mind, and he comes back to a boat to help. Um, so... He does grow along with uh, Will and Elizabeth, okay? So I do argue that the character, there is something, there is somewhat of a heart in him, um, that he has a teeny bit of a moral compass. But you're right. He's never, like, he's, they're seeking Jack out because Jack knows where they can get this trident. It's not like... Jack's just trying to get another crew together. He's always looking for a crew in a ship. And um, yeah, he's not hes not really the main character, but because it's Johnny Depp and because he's made this character his, nobody else could ever fill these shoes. Uh, he, yeah, he, we watch him. He's a pleasure to watch on screen. He's funny. Um, but you're right. He's not... He's not really the person that we're following who's going to have that arc that we're always used to. It's usually the people around him who do that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, yeah, you know, um, believe it or not, for me, Peter Pan is very much a story, even though he's the title character. Peter Pan is not the main focal point. Mm-hmm. To me, it's Wendy. It's Wendy. I agree. Yeah. Um, so it, much in that same way, you know, it's just he's just kind of the figurehead, and then but the real story is something else entirely, sure. which in, in this case is... Um, is the story of, of them. Yeah. Uh, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. So let's take a quick uh, twi- quick step back and then we'll get back into story. Um, overall, you know, though it may be the shortest movie of the franchise, the longest to make and get on sc- <laughs> up off yeah. screen. Uh-huh. Um, pre-production started shortly after on um, Stranger Tides uh, in, in back in 2011. And from there, it just kind of turned 
into various nightmares where Disney wasn't necessarily happy with the script and so on and so forth. Furthermore, um, if you want, we can certainly talk about it. When The Lone Ranger came out, uh, Disney started doubting, okay, is this a depth thing? Is he not bankable anymore? What's going on there? Um, but then, slowly but surely, like, the, the, you know, in, in around 2013, Alan Horn came out and stated, um, we haven't seen a screenplay yet that, we've been a- that I've been able to sign off on. There's a lot of variables that affect the final outcome once it leaves the studio lot, so we are very careful. Um, and so, and overall, they were. Um, and, you know, Jeremy Bruckheimer, he was, he, he was continued to be part of the process. Um, and he said, we want a script that everyone's signed off on and a budget that everyone's happy with. Right. So um, that's what they went after. And slowly but surely, even though, you know, uh, then, as you mentioned, uh, Jeff Nathanson, he got hired and, right. and he started writing. Um, part and parcel of that was the search for the directors. Yes. Or at least a director and it ended up being two of them. Um, and then they kind of worked together to, to create these various things. Yeah. And, and I love this story about the directors and, you know, this movie too. And again, I guess like if, if you're a fan and you've watched all the movies, this one movie in particular, I said it earlier, it just seemed that Nathanson had plot threads and he was trying to put together, he was trying to incorporate as much as possible. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's evident in this movie because there is lots going on, but the movie was plagued. Not it was plagued with a lot of things going on, uh, from personal issues that Johnny Depp was going through at the time of filming this movie. Um, you know, don't necessarily need to relay them. They were all over the news. What what, what was happening in his life at the time? Um, and and while he did show up to work, they were having trouble. Uh, with him on they had a production assistant thing. outside yeah. of his house being <laughs> like, "Oh, he's up, he's yeah. up." <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, yeah, I mean, this is this is. I mean, it does have you know, yeah. it's Hollywood stories. I get, yeah, it's a Hollywood story that that guy was outside his house waiting for a light to turn on. That would be the only way he knew whether or not he's up. Um, so there are stories like that, and then of course there's the story about this movie was supposed to come out a year ago. Mm-hmm. And Disney, who had a full slate of, of, of Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, you know, they had movies to promote. And this one, this one had to wait on the runway, so to mm-hmm. speak. And they actually pulled it out of release. It was supposed to come out in 2016. Usually, in that case, you'll agree. Like, whenever you hear about that, it's like, oh, boy, that's, yeah. that's not a good sign. The, my only reaffirmation that they had somewhat of faith in this movie is that, A, when they picked its date, they picked it on Memorial Day weekend. They put, it's a summer date. And I think by moving it to Disney felt comfortable that they can put a lot of time, effort, give it tender, loving care when it comes from a marketing push. And they did market the hell out of this movie. And the cast... Yeah, it went everywhere. It went everywhere. They had premieres all over the, the world. You know, Shanghai. They went everywhere. Um, which is great, because that means the cast was supporting it, too. And that's another thing. We'll talk about cast, but everybody really seemed to be proud to either be returning to their roles or to be the newbies on, on board and just having a good time. So... Um, but yeah, the movie was plagued with a lot of, a lot of issues. It, it's it's almost amazing to me. Like you could do a documentary maybe about the making of this movie, and I think that that would be fascinating. You know, just through all those iterations, and that's a true Hollywood story. So the fact that this was made at all, 
Well, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I, obviously, I think any movie overall goes through various things. But, I, you know, I mean, it's to, the, to that point, you just start to feel the pressure of, okay, you're, you're putting out a movie that people love. The last one didn't do so well. Um, and so you want to write the ship, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, don't pardon the pun, pardon the pun, whatever right. you want. Uh, and so, you know, you just get kind of get to that point. You know, eventually the, the balance is it has to still be a creative exercise, but in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't want to mess this up. Right. And um, and, and so you kind of have to be, you know, to, to tell that line, um, you know, I've had to do it at certain points, but nowhere near where I can say anywhere close to this level. Yeah. I agree. And you're right. I mean, there is a lot of pressure. And again, I, a lot of credit must be given to Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, this is a guy that has been in this business forever. He's been entertaining us with movies. Um, and his passion for pirates, obviously, is, you know, if he's considering going on and moving on to, a, you know, to do a fifth movie, that says something. And he's a producer that stands by. He's a, he's a producer that stands by his movie. And even according to him, it's like he loves this business and he loves he's involved in pretty much every aspect of the movie the the one aspect that he is quoted as saying that he hates the most is location scouting he goes i hate being in a stupid jeep driving around he goes i let them do it <laughs> let them get back to me but he likes to be involved in the casting and 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 production in the screenwriting in the script so he really is the captain of the ship and whether or not we get another one, I think, is ultimately going to be up to him and Alan Horn and Disney, of course. Um, but I think it is a telling tale when, you know, Bruckheimer has to say, yeah, we had to wait in line. Like, mm-hmm. it's no longer the franchise that they were, that they would be willing to make a three-hour movie at now, and, you know, with, with, with Lone Ranger, which was Gore Verbinski mm-hmm. um, as well. So... Yeah, I think that they go in, um, you know, a little bit uh, with, with some trepidation. Like, how, what's this going to mean for us? Um, and it's tough now because Disney now as a corporation, when you have Lucas Films, when you have Marvel Films, when you have Pixar and their other animated, it's tough to shoehorn something else into the mix for them. It really is. Like, you're not going to see... A whole hell of a lot of original content. And by original, I mean a brand new, fresh movie and story from Disney. I mean, outside of they might do new Pixar stories. But even now, we're like, we're finding Dory, Cars Cars 3. Like, they're going back to the well. We're not. Moana was a new story. That was last year, right? Was that Disney? Yeah, yeah. Moana was Disney. Um, So I just find it. They're so jam-packed with their franchises that, um, again, the mere fact, you know, trying to shoehorn this in, but they gave it the respect that it needed as far as putting the money and picking a, a, picking a very, what could be a very competitive date. I mean, to that same token, um, their estimating budget is $230 million, um, and many sources are estimating the overall marketing and everything budget 400 million that marketing budget is more than most movies get for everything 
Uh, that's so, that's an incredible that's an incredible budget because I would have guesstimated it uh, not at four hundred, but when you got to figure your this is a uh, Hollywood Reporter came yeah. out with that number, give or take four hundred. I mean that's that in many studios could make a movies for a year and a half, two years, four hundred million dollars. Think about it. Yes, <laughs> I mean I mean Blumhouse could <laughs> Blum. they may be funded for the next four yeah. years. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and then we talked about when we talked about Alien Covenant that came in at just under seventy million dollars. So you know, four hundred million dollars—that's a that 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 that's a lot of moolah. That's a lot of pirates booty. That's a lot of yeah. It's a lot of gold. Um, so and you got to try to mitigate like that. But obviously they put the money where their mouth is, and and we'll talk about I guess gross um, a little bit later on. Certainly. But you know. So so let's let's take a quick you know um, the in terms of the directors um, they spoke highly of of Jeff who was the writer they said uh, the script that it, it was funny and touching it was a funny and touching script that they are, um, were inspired by the first film um, and that the original is scary it's funny and most of all it's got comedy uh, but with great heart and the dynamics between the characters was something they really wanted to try to reinvent in this one mm-hmm. and so you know. That's kind of what they're going for. Uh, Orlando Bloom has even called it like this is a soft reboot. Sure, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I get that sentiment. Yeah, and and you know, and to their credit, um, you know, they even admit the movie didn't fall into their laps. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually sort of kind of had to chase it because they really wanted to make this movie. What I love about these guys. Um, the basic reason, you know, they started making movies together when they were 10 years old. I love this story. Okay. So there were 10, and movies that inspired them were the kind of movies that inspired me to want to talk about movies. And, and those were from Spielberg and Lucas and Zemeckis movies, you know. And in a sense, too, the franchise is very much like that kind of entertainment. Um, and, and, that's why when that first movie comes out and it is really so good and entertaining and I believe Johnny Depp was nominated that year too nobody expected this movie to do what it did and be as good and as humorous and and fun so um, I really really enjoyed the energy that they brought to it Um, it does in a sense I guess Orlando Bloom calling it a soft reboot um, sort of I mean I guess it sort of kind of makes it makes sense. Um, it'll be interesting, though, because, again, to me, the people that were great were Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. And when they finished filming At World's End, they actually did Dead Man's Chest. Actually, they, they took a page from the... Because Robert Zemeckis more or less sort of kind of invented this when he did Back to the Future 2 and 3. He filmed them back to back because he didn't want to lose his actors. And the same thing went on here. They did Dead Man's Chest and At World's End pretty much back to back. And Karen Knightley was pretty much, look, I, I love these movies and what it's afforded me, and I love the people I've worked with, but it was five years of my life. <laughs> like, I can't... I don't want to be tied down to, to, to doing that. So it'll be interesting if she'll show up again uh, in a movie, and how many they may or may not have planned. Listen, if they do one more and they're in it, and that ends up being the final one, then you know, you know, you, you have my blessing and in peace. You, you've done your bit for king and queen. If they end on this one, I'd be the same way. I'd be, you know what? You gave me Elizabeth and Will. 
you know, you've done your bit for king and queen. You've entertained, and you, you know, for the most part, it's been solid entertainment. Yeah. But it's tough. It'll be tough to get that cast back together again. I think. Absolutely. And we already know that Barbosa is not coming back. <laughs> that he is not. So, you know, um, and you know, one of the things you had made mention of it, and so I want to kind of talk about it now because you know, in writing, one of the biggest decisions for them was was the compass, right? And so. As they stated, there's a uh, mythical MacGuffin in this movie in the shape of Jack's compass, um, which they describe as the hardest nut to crack from a story point of view. A key element from the very start of Pirate series, the compass famously does not point north, instead pointing to the thing that you want uh, most in the world. But figuring it into the script and how it related to Salazar um, took some time during development. Quote, we, we needed some kind of key to unlock Salazar from his hellish um, prison in the Triangle, um, that's where it started. What kind of tools do we have? The compass is one of the most prominent gadgets that Jack had, so we wanted. Um, we so we started from there. It took a long time to solve it. Mm-hmm. So again, whether or not they actually um, figured it out in the right way, at least uh, I guess they did think about it. Yeah, I mean, again, that compass and Jack Sparrow are are things that everybody was trying to get their hands on uh, in the previous movies because it would bring them or point them to. Whatever it was they wanted the most. So, you know, there was a time he even gave it to Elizabeth Swan mm-hmm. because, for whatever reason, Jack didn't know what he wanted truly. So it wasn't pointing. Um, but he knew that if he followed Elizabeth, that would take him to what he, you know, so he'd given it to her. But then the East India Trading Company wanted it so that they could hunt down pirates. And then it ended up in Orlando Bloom or Davy Jones would have it. Changed hands a bunch because of the MacGuffin, as you call it. It because it doesn't turn north. It also was a, a butt into jokes. It's like, what's he do? Like he, he's using a compass that doesn't point north. Well, how the hell does he do it? <laughs> like, yeah. so I again, I appreciate giving us backstory, and I and I did like that backstory because it did show us a self-assured Jack Sparrow. And that's when that character really works because the way Depp plays him, and it's said a couple of times in, in the previous movies, is he just mad? Like, do you think he has a plan or does he just make shit up as he goes along? And like, because that's the way he plays the character. And in that, in this movie, when we're going back, and number one, we'll talk about the, 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 the what they did, the, the, like the face. Um, I like that scene because he takes over for his captain who died and he hands the compass to him. He says, it's yours now. You're Captain Jack. And he became very self-assured and he tried a plan that was crazy to do to escape the devil's triangle. And from from Salazar, who uh, to me appeared as if he were with either the East India Trading Company or they were hunting down pirates, basically. So that is, I liked our seeing Jack take command and so self-assured in a sense and and having that shipwreck and Salazar going left like, what the hell? Like, how did he do that? For me, it was just a matter of like, what else is he going to do? I mean, you know, he's a young, arrogant, like... He's, the other pirates have been killed. He's got nothing to lose, so right. why not just go for it? Yeah. I don't, that's the way I read it. Um, 
you know, interestingly enough, uh, I know this is jumping ahead, but I don't want to lose the thought. Um, I'm surprised critics haven't uh, made fun of, you know, how Jack always wants um, his pirates to pay him for the privilege of saving his life and all that. Yeah. I'm surprised no critic has made that joke in terms of what pirates <laughs> just say. I gotcha. Yeah. That's a new plot thread. Like, he, in, through the period, he's never, you know... Uh, I forget the word. I forget the word tribute. Tribute. Right? Yeah. Play, play, you have to pay me tribute. Um, you know, again, that was something new, but uh, new into the fold of piracy and, and of Jack Sparrow. Because in all the other movies, Barbosa, you know, we'd never seen all the other pirates say that to their crew uh, or whatnot. So that seemed to be new to this. That was that was fine. Um, you know, but he's always Jack Sparrow since the beginning. Uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. He's always in search of crew and ship, particularly the Black Pearl. That's his ship. That's the one. That's his home. Um, so it's interesting to see it come out of the bottle, so to speak. <laughs> literally, great scene. Yeah. And and if you're following the movies, you know it ends with Jack holding the ship in a bottle. Um, so it was good to see the Black Pearl coming up again. Um, so, you know, there, there are other aspects of the crew that, uh, you know, again, if you've been following the movies, um, the, the short guy who's always been part of the crew, uh, he was there. Of course, Gibbs. You need mm-hmm. Gibbs, too, because he's the one who supports Jack. And we had Barbosa. Barbosa's been a constant thread uh, as well. So, uh, you know, and these are the people that he works with. Best with. So let me ask, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, for me, the, this the first introduction f- uh, for Jack Sparrow in actual film for me was obviously when when they go to rob the bank. <laughs> and so, I mean, uh, you know, I, I I've had a chance to kind of watch a little bit of the first one, but obviously there's a huge chunk in between then and and where he ends up then, and so. Is that an accurate representation of where we left off with him, or was this a here we're catching up with him, and this is just kind of he's fallen to the bottom of the barrel? Well, it was of no surprise that here we are at this brand new bank that's supposed to have the best safe in the world, and when they open it up, it's Captain Jack Sparrow along with a woman in the safe. (laughs) And he's awakened by these people, and he's always like, hey, what the hell are you doing, you know? And then we find out that the woman he's leaving with is the mayor's Ma- yeah, uh, the, the mayor, head person's the, wife. Yeah, that person's wife. Again, no surprise, right? But then we we, we had our fast and furious moment. That's oh, what yeah. I call it, right? Because they they take the safe that's hooked up to about twelve horses or so. I mean, it, at least Fast and the Furious has a little bit more physics than this had, right. even though I enjoyed I, this. Yeah, it was fun. Um, this is where it was a little bit cartoony for me. Um, it's a fun scene to watch, and it's fun to see Jack on top of this bank house because it's not just taking the safe. It's the whole thing as you see it going down the street. It's a fun scene to watch. Again, it seemed to be a little bit more cartoony than, say, past films. Look, when he, when Gore Verbinski... And they were sitting down to make the first Pirates movie, and they, and they bring Depp aboard. Um, Depp played it. He was... Um, his, his child was watching Pepe Le Pew. Mm-hmm. And he's a big rock and roll fan as well. So he sort of kind of zeroed in on Pepe Le Pew and Keith Richards 
was a major influence as well. And when he was doing this, this sort of kind of Jack Sparrowy, Keith Richardsy thing, and they were sending the dailies back, people at Disney were like, "What the f is he doing? Like, what what is happening? Jesus!" And they came on set and they were talking to Gore Verbinski, and they said, "He's got it. He's, he's got a rain. No, we can't have this because it's not going to work." Like there was big trouble on the set, and Gore Verbinski's like, he stood by him. They stood by him, and Jer- Bruckheimer they were saying, "Nope, the, just let it. It's going to play out." Thank God that they changed those executives' minds because he ends up giving one of the most original performances of Jack Sparrow. And and even for an audience member, he always sort of kind of because of the way he's playing it, like you don't know whether or not he's actually daft or is he way smart. He always seems to be a step ahead. But is it because of luck, chance? It's a little bit of everything, but there is some planning going on with him. So it, it's t- t- going back to your question, yes, this is where Jack has left off. He's always been that kind of way, and he'll get out of a situation without maybe not having all the pieces of the p- plan put together, but he's going to go for it anyways. And that's why I really think that Captain Jack Sparrow has just been, from a cinematic standpoint... Johnny Depp has given us an iconic character. There's a reason why they've added that character to the ride, to, to, to Pirates of the Caribbean. He is as much a part of Pirates of the Caribbean as the ride is to Disneyland. And he will even show up. He did that as the marketing thing, which I think is great. He loves he loves this character and what he breathed life into this character. And I, and I do believe, um, if, if we can look it up, I believe he was nominated for the first movie, for his portrayal of this. And I can't imagine the portrayal being done any by anybody else. And thank God those execs' opinions went away, yeah. Didn't didn't change his performance. Well, one of the I mean what I what I loved about it was again, you kind of showcase him in terms of the arrogance and all all the other things and, and overall as a plan it does work, except that you have that great button of like, okay, <laughs> There's nothing in the safe except for the last coin, which he takes. Which he takes, which is a complete Jack Sparrow thing. Uh, so, so in that sense, you know, <laughs> it's great that it worked. It just didn't work in the way intended, right? Uh, so, so I, I you know, I, I thought it set it up very nicely. Um, and again, if that's what to me separates it, like you know, you had made mention of um, the the Fast and the Furious, right? The, the the separation why why that scene did work to me despite all of its physics and everything was the fact that he didn't come out on top. Right. If they did this and that, I would have been like, okay, come on. Right. But it it, it obviously um, is a foil to him more so than anything. It's another common thread through the movies too, where he says something to the effect of, "Well, that didn't go as planned, or <laughs> that could have gone better, or something." Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like somebody said. There was a scene, and I think it could have been World's Ed or whatever, and go, are you mad? And he goes, well, if I wasn't mad, then this this stupid idea wouldn't work at all. <laughs> and he cuts a rope and he goes flying on the air. So he embraces his madness. Um, and again, Keith Richards was in the movies um, as well. He was in, was he in this one for like two seconds? No. Um, he was Paul in, he was in, was in, he was in Stranger Tides yeah. for like two seconds. Um so he brought on his idol to be in the movies and, you know, and, and his characters even made fun of. Orlando Bloom was like, well, is that why he's all like this? So 
again, he's made such an iconic character um, that he's somebody that I will continue, continually like to follow. So if they make another one, I'm going to be there because of Johnny Depp's Captain Jack Sparrow. Um, well, let's, you know, one of the things you made mention of was that you liked um, or- Orlando Bloom and, and um, his son. So let's talk about the inciting incident because that, it, it's what really sets it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, truthfully, I, I don't know the full time, but let's say for the first 10 to 15 minutes before the title even comes up, right? we're with him and we're getting that, you know, we're setting up that story first and foremost, um, which I thought. Uh, I, I, I thought it worked well, um, you know, because it, it gave us a chance to kind of really digest, okay, what's what's really the, the emotional core here? Right. Um, you know, uh, and I forget, um, I, I forget how exactly, um, I think we meet um, her first before we even see, yeah, it, we, we meet her right. before we meet Captain Jack. Right. So we get, you know, we get, in terms of uh, emotional investment, we meet the characters we need to meet before we meet Jack right. Sparrow. And what I liked about Karina Smith, too, is that we meet her uh, because she's in prison and she's going to be killed for for being a quote-unquote witch. Okay? The point, we don't under, quite understand what her witch powers are, but when we learn it's, well, it's just because it's she knows horology. how to read the stars, horology. Um, and she's smart. <laughs> She's a smart woman. And you go, okay, but in that time, okay, I can see, you know, what that is. But Kaya Skodala Ario, I'm gonna, I butchered that last name. She was great as Karina Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. I really liked her presence in this movie. And then she comes across uh, Brenton Thwaites, who plays Henry Turner. Um, and I, I like again right there. They're they're sort of kind of setting us up because these are the new Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley people. I, I think they were a decent matching, um, but I particularly like the story of a son who knows of his father's curse, and he wants to end the curse. Um, in the previous films, in the first three, the through line was Orlando Bloom's character, his father, Bootstrap Turner who was a crew member of, of Captain Jack Sparrow, he was on the Flying Dutchman, okay? And he was cursed. He was a cursed pirate on that ship. And he had promised to his... He, he, throughout the movies, Will Turner is learning that he does have pirates, piracy in his blood, and he wants to free his dad from the curse. He's not talking about ending the curse. He just wants his dad out of the curse, Henry Turner's is a bigger goal because he just wants to end the curse, period. And then this way, because the curse, I don't know if you got it from the movie, the person who is captaining the Flying Dutchman is not allowed to come to shore not but once every 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's another inconsistency too because at World's End, sort of, well, there's a scene where Davy Jones, who was captain of the Dutchman, was on a beach. But they had a bucket. He was in a bucket of seawater. He was standing on, you know, so he's on shore technically, but in a bucket of seawater. He just wants his dad to come home, Henry Turner. And that to me is a very noble goal. I liked that. It's like, okay, and, well, the only way that I'm going to get from point A to point B is I need, 
I need Jack Sparrow to do that for me. Yeah, he'll be able to. If I had any knock on this movie, it's that um, I was so invested in Henry as a character. Um, but in terms of his actual actionable steps and decisions um, from there, he really just had to rely on other people to get him to that place. Mm-hmm. Even though he says, like, you know, I found you, Dad, and that's a huge undertaking. Um, now he's going to go off and find this trident. It's, yeah, he's very much reliant on... on um, Karina and and um, obviously Captain Jack and everyone everyone else. Right. And so that part of it kind of, you know, in hindsight did slightly annoy me. Sure. But it gave him time to develop that relationship. And uh, I want to go back to her for a second. Yeah. Uh, because in terms of character development, obviously, we're, you know, we keep making the reference. It's, it's Will and Elizabeth. But at the same time, in terms of who she was, they very much wanted to make a conscious decision that it's not just her. They wanted to modernize her um, and have her be sort of a modern woman. And I, and I, I thought it worked well. And I just, you know, me being a guy and maybe still a five-year-old at heart, <laughs> I just love the fact of, like, uh, you study horology? You're a horologist? I know. Oh. Yeah. My mother was a horologist. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why I like the character because there was like she was like a, a, a nerd and geek before that was even a term, right? And and they do make her different. Like she could have been like that character could have been the daughter of Will Turner and and Elizabeth. Okay, a little weird. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. But I'm just saying because throughout Kieran Knightley as Elizabeth. Two, it was a great female character. I mean, she ends up becoming captain of a ship in, in at World's End through through various circumstances. But even in the first movie, there's a scene where her father her buys her this dress, and it's this corset, and she, you know, she just does not want any part of this. And she is a strong woman character who can as easily match wits with Captain Jack Sparrow, and that there was a little love triangle going on there that really sizzles, in a sense, the, those movies. This one, yes, you're right. It's years after. It's 10 years after World's End. So even in that society, lots have changed. Uh, but I love that Karina Smith was an horologist. I love that she could point out the stars. That scene where she goes, um, the, the guy who has the, the, the huge telescope, yeah, um, at the beginning. Yeah, uh, you know, no woman has ever touched my Herschel. <laughs> I think the line was. She just knew, but your lens is off. Like yeah. I can fix this for you, and the the man was so afraid that she she was more knowledgeable about his Herschel than he was. Um, but I really liked that. She goes, "Yeah, if you fix this, then you'll be able to see the star that you're looking at, and it's right up over there." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's sort of cool." You know, it's it's cool. It, it, you know, she was attractive. She had the gumption. You know, it was. I, I liked. She was a good character. She was a good addition to the the pirates' stories. And they had that fine balance act because right in that scene, then Captain Jack shows up and and he's like, "Oh, you you have a pirate and a witch here. Oh, that must be a good day." <laughs> so uh, yeah, they overall they were able to find that balance yes. with them. Um, yeah. the, I mean, let me ask this in terms of, uh, at this point, it's just such a cliche trope, in a sense, to have the two, a guy and a girl, or whatever couple, I guess, you know, complain, you know, we live in a modern age, but uh, 
the fact of oh i don't love you you don't love me oh what it's just is that somewhat overplayed i mean it was fun to watch overall i thought they did enough clever things to to hide the fact um or not hide the fact but just play with that trope but nonetheless there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they're ending up together no and i don't know how you get around it in this movie because that certainly wasn't necessarily um you can't say the same thing about will and elizabeth you know there was there was an attraction there they (laughs) they the Two in their hearts knew that they wanted to be together. It was it was actually the social system that they were in that was initially keeping them apart. Um, so this one has got to be, you know, it's it's the opposites attract. I'm way more smarter than you are. You're like who are you? What are you? What are you? A blacksmith? Like I can't be stuff like that. But you know, they're good for each other. Um, I thought as actors, I felt their chemistry was really good for one another as well because the scene where he um that whole it's a great scene the hanging okay Mm -hmm. so uh she's being hung jack's about to be decapitated by the guillotine the brand new machine on the market by the french oh if it's french that was a good line oh if it's french it's got to let me do the french thing (laughs) um but when she falls through and and uh um he holds her, mm-hmm. and she and she says something to the effect of it was a really funny line. It's like, well, you're becoming to know me a little bit more by holding my port side or something <laughs> like that. It was really funny. It worked. Yeah. Like there, so I enjoyed watching them uh, together uh, and trying to, to to get through this to, to to go through this adventure. Her. Well, let me ask you this: What was your take? See, to me, it was. To me, it was Henry's story was the one that was important to me. Karina, what did you think about her story? The search for the dad. The search for the dad. Um, yeah, I mean, because at that point we sort of – because Henry was not as active as at that point she was, mm-hmm. um, I started becoming a little bit more vested in her – Like. It's it's not that her story was necessarily the best, but because he was so inactive, it just kind of brought him on that same level. Um, and if nothing else, I guess you could say I, I applaud them for sw- switching gears and making right. it, and focusing it on them and their sure. quest together rather than their individual goals. Mm-hmm. Even though they kept saying their individual goals, it was more about like, oh, you're just actually forming a relationship. So. So then I'm going to ask, too, because there's an interesting story from Jeffrey Rush, too, about what did you, what were your thoughts on the the, the reveal that it's Barbosa is her father? I, what, what I like For liked, someone who's not familiar with the franchise at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sort of, for me, it came out of left field, um, as I'm reading for most people. However, what I, what I did like about it was the fact that it wasn't oh my god we know the secret and now as an audience we're going to hold on to it till it needs to be said later you know two seconds after we find out or at least i found out he's talking with jack and jack's like come on you know she's your daughter come on how could you have a daughter like that so um so they were able to play with it not hold it hostage as i've seen most movies have to do yeah, and, and according to Jeffrey Rush, they had wanted to incorporate 
some additional dialogue in that cajoling scene too um because again this is giving us some more information uh about their younger years which again i'm I'm all for i mean i think that they're really great cinematic characters you know and basically johnny is trusted up against the mast and teasing me hector says we'll we'll take this to our graves and he said he had a line where he said I remember that night we were in a tavern. It was an appalling sight where you were naked and dancing on the table drunk. It didn't make it into the film. But 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 Jeffrey Rush says, I always love that image of Jack and Hector being wild boys in their youth off their heads on rum. And then a, chi- a child comes out of that. Mm-hmm. That to me, again, I'm wondering what was the deciding factor to maybe take that out of the movie? Because to me, then that makes more sense. It makes me. more sense, but it reveals it. Well, more so. Right? I mean, it doesn't... Because when they end up on the ship all together, it's a little bit later in the movie. So, again, I, th- I think it's a neat... P- I, I think it does tie it up, and I think it's very cool. If something like that, like a scene like that would have been great to see in an earlier movie of the Pirates because then it sets this up even nicer. Um, but to see it in the same movie, I would have felt you'd have like, he's the dad. And now I'm just waiting for the point in time. Mm. And that's why I did like it in this sense because we find out as an audience member, you're like, okay, what are they going to do with it? Oh, 30 seconds later, they're already talking about it. Yeah, okay. I mean, because to me it was, to me it was a story of maybe learning a little bit more that Hector and Jack were. I mean, they were always antagonistic of one another because, you know, one they're they're always in uh, competition over the Black Pearl, who's going to be captain, and there's a you got to see the other movies because there's a reason why it's called Curse of the Black Pearl and that why Captain Jack Sparrow isn't a part of that curse and so on and so forth, but. I, I don't know. I was reading about that line going, to me, that's a great line because they were off their heads on rum. And, you know, the, the way that it was played up to, you know, it was getting to a point where you sort of, you sort of kind of knew, again, if you're watching these movies and we only have so many characters in this movie. So it really wasn't going to be Salazar, right? Because he'd been a ghost for many years probably wasn't going to be Johnny it probably wasn't going to be Captain Jack Sparrow right so just by pure math and the number of characters it was sort of to point of Barboza he seemed to be making the only sense of like well I guess in some sense the poster gives it away huh sort of (laughs) sort of kind of yeah I guess sure yep Uh, she's on the right hand um, side yeah, and and I'm um, and I'm gonna say too, um, uh, you know, this time I think dead is dead. I, you know, and Jeffrey Rush, you know, um, even says, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure," you know, unless he comes back as a ghost now uh, to haunt Jack, <laughs> you know, or to to keep needling him. What's interesting about a lot of this too is when he was filming this movie, he was also doing Hamlet. Yes. And he was going back and forth. So he would come in, get dressed up as a pirate, do pirate talk. And then his joke was, he goes, and then when I was done, he goes, or you could see me in the docks and like my, my, my shorts and I'd be 
talking Shakespeare <laughs> and stuff. And then he'd come back and do more pirate stuff. And but he made mention that maybe he'll come back as as Hamlet as like sort of kind of like Hamlet's dad ghost. He goes, I'll come back and needle Jack as a as a as, as a ghost. But I can't see me coming back to the franchise. Which, you know, I, I'm a little bit bummed. You know, he was great. And let me tell you something. In Dead Man's Chest, the second pirate movie, um, you know, he dies at the end of Curse of Black Pearl. Sorry, I know it's a spoiler. You haven't seen these. It's fine, yeah. When he shows up at the end, the button on Dead Man's Chest, that was like one of those like, awesome it's like whoa what the hell like what just happened um it was great to see him back and he was always this cool character he was a lot of fun in stranger tides too so they're if they are going to continue they're going to need either will and elizabeth or somebody else to step up in barb in in jeffrey rush's shoes because i think he too has become such a a part and a rock uh, in these movies, so I was a little bit bummed to see him go because this one did seem definitive to me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but you know, kind of, yeah, uh, almost going like the guillotine back and forth. Um, you know, um, Brenton Thade says, uh, you know, you made mention. Okay, we're gonna need one of these characters to step up. Well, it se- I mean, it seems like um, Kaya can do it. He says, what I loved about Kaya w- was that she wasn't afraid to share ideas. Um, that that kind of confidence, conviction. And fearlessness saves a lot of time. You can get right to the meat of the scene that's happening, and it's nice to work like that. So, you know, if she had already confidence going into a franchise like this and being able to be open, mm-hmm. then now, you know, perhaps for a second movie, obviously she'll feel even more comfortable. Yeah. And, and so can step into that role and, and, and take that mantle, if you will. Yeah. So It would be good to have a, a female captain now. Um, a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean... Uh, uh, trivia mm-hmm. in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie there was in fact uh, a female captain um, who who is duped by Jack uh, but was promised a ship no less and that was played by Zoe Zaldana mm-hmm. a very young Zoe Zaldana I might add it was the only appearance she made in these Pirates movies but she was and played part of Jack's crew uh, in Curse of the Black Pearl and she went on to be a female captain. I think it would be fun to have a, a strong female captain. Um, you know, Kieran Knightley had had her fill, uh, or, or Elizabeth Swan had had her fill of, of piracy. And she'd been around pirates a lot. But I think this new character, obviously, she can, you know, all I, all I need is a tall ship and a star to guide her by. And she can do that. And she's a strong, smart, fun character. Uh, I'd like to see her mix it up with uh, Captain Jack again. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, so let's talk about one of, <clears throat> you know, as much as we talked about the compass being MacGuffin, the ultimate MacGuffin is this trident. Sure. Uh, this is the thing that cures all ails. Right. <laughs> Anybody and everybody who's got something, come on down. Yep. The trident <laughs> will solve it. Um, but what did, you, what did you think? I mean, first off, the trident itself did not look anything like a trident that I would have ever imagined. Sure. Which, for better or worse, I'm just noting in that. Yeah, I I sort of kind of uh, likened it to um, what the Holy Grail was in Last Crusade. It's it's not what we always picture the Holy Grail to look like. In in this movie, I like the the liberties that they took with this trident because it doesn't look 
anything really, you know, mega spectacular. Um, but again, I like the story, you know, and you're right in the sense that it is, it is a MacGuffin. However, and yes, and it's the be all end all, right? Which, again, we'll, we'll like, talk about the repercussions it, of right. Things. But I, I appreciate the fact, like it's a good MacGuffin. It's it's a good element to hunt for because again, it's treasure. You know, there's always this this like Stranger Tides was all about Ponce de Leon and finding the Fountain of Youth. Okay. Which to me, that's a good story. That that's a story that I can see, that I can not only see like Indiana Jones being a part of in an Indiana Jones adventure, but I can see piracy. I can see Captain Jack Sparrow, like searching for the, you know, being part of the search for for the Fountain of Youth. And in this movie, this trident, being that he can know where it is, I like the idea of this breaking the curse. You know, he wants his dad back. And if the trident, the unfindable object, you know, is the thing and he believes he can find it. And he's on this. He's on a quest. He's on a journey for the Holy Grail, in a sense. He just wants his dad to come home. So I like that aspect of the movie, that the unfindable object is the one thing that, I, you know, he needs to find. Well, you know, where... Where I did get worried, you know, I didn't know the extent of all the curses, but just even the curses that the movie presented bore a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine in this world, curses are an everyday thing. There's a curse a day, if you will. And so yes. it worried me if the Trident fixes all curses, we've essentially created Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> to, to a lesser extent. Sure. And that, again, too, is the... It just makes me wonder how, how did you, how much thought was put into, like, because it would be interesting, instead of it doing all curses, like, it it depends on who it strikes, or, I don't know, it just seemed, because this frees Salazar, Salazar is no longer a good, I mean, it does every, it wipes out almost everything, and it also can bring, apparently, bring people back from the dead, Um, so, it just goes to one of those plot story elements that I'm not sure how far out they were thinking of it, mm-hmm. and they made this MacGuffin. It was it was the it was like you know it was it was the magic bullet, yeah. so to speak, that's going to cure everything. And so you sort of kind of have to buy into it because it's going to end Salazar's reign, and it's going to cure his dad and every other pirate that was cursed. What, that what, what did you think of um, in terms of having to break it? Break the because the trident itself is a very powerful entity, right. um, and you know when wielded, it's a weapon. Right. When broken, you know again, it's one of those things. I think it's a you know you got to break. It's a one shot deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to use it right because you're never going to have the opportunity again. So we we're, they can't go back into the well, like no. if something else happens. So. They've already broken this. So if, quote-unquote, Davy Jones showing up, which is what they were alluding to at the button at the end of this movie, a trident, the broken trident, is it's already been used. We can't use this again. They broke it. But if you break the trident and breaks all curses, then does that reset the trident? I I don't know. Stupid question. But you can imagine this being in a writer's room for the next one being like, well, maybe. I don't think it was, though. Like, that's the thing. I, I don't think that there was... 
this kind of thought, like to try to write around this or to, to try to fix it so that we couldn't have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Because somehow, well, if it lifts the curse, then Davy Jones shouldn't be Davy Jones. <laughs> like, we shouldn't have him again. But somehow he's come back um, to, to haunt uh, Will and, and, and Elizabeth. So, you know, I like the idea of, of an object that can do this. But, and, and again, taking it back to Last Crusade, if you remember correctly, look, Indy could have drinking from this, but he saved his dad. And then the cup, the chalice, falls through a crack uh, because the temple well, was falling to, down. They, they, they tried to take it away. <clears throat> they tried to take it away, but it felt it's lost forever. In a sense, the trident is lost forever. Like we can't, it's it's gone. We can't use it. Uh, they did the same thing in. His, uh, they did the same thing with uh, the Fountain of Youth. You know, the Spaniards come and say this is blasphemy against Christianity. No one should have it. They bring ruins down upon it. There was only enough for one drop uh, or a few drops, and then the Fountain of Youth is lost forever. It's all dried up. Can't use it again. So, it, it's a common trope, trope as, we're, movies, yeah. as, as we're proving. It's the magic bullet that once shot and fired. You can't use it again. No more reset buttons. <laughs> wow. You'd be, I don't know. Sometimes you'd so, be surprised, I guess. Yeah, I know. So, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to bring that up, especially because, you know, <clears throat> even for someone who doesn't know the franchises, they could be, this, mm -hmm. this, this can't be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other um, story elements that, well, I, I guess, uh, sorry, we should talk about uh, definitely location in terms of, and not in terms of production, but just favorite location in the movie and then favorite action scene as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, Australia looked beautiful. I thought they mostly used Hawaii again because that's pretty much where a lot of Stranger uh, Tides was filmed. But uh, I felt that their locations were, and they're always, they always look beautiful. They always look to, they always look to fit the movie and give it that sense of the time in which pirates may have existed or pirates mm -hmm. existed okay um because they did exist and it also in a sense if you're a fan of disney and you do the attraction as many times as i do all right i'm a season i'm an annual pass holder so it, the locations seem to fit what the attraction looks like as well whether it's in a prison or whether you're seeing you're going through a village in a town they seem to match up like they're almost seamless mm -hmm. and i think that they do a, a, a wonderful job in doing that um but i know that they filmed in australia yeah, with tax and something right which is you know which is fantastic um action sequences definitely two for me i mean th uh, for sure the guillotine the guillotine sequence was that was very inspired, I felt, because they actually... Maybe it was me, gimbal. but 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 I thought it was a little sadistic. <laughs> because you're like, wow, you're like, holy... Jesus. And they actually had him on... I don't even know if you could call it a gimbal, mm -hmm. but they actually... He was spinning around, and they had the camera on him. Now, I think, number one, kudos for Johnny Depp. <laughs> he didn't get sick. <laughs> apparently he was all for it when he figured out what it was all for it the way that it was shot that's like inspired mayhem and genius because you would think that things could go all wrong now obviously it's not a real guillotine so had something happened that's not cutting off his head 
But the appearance-wise was, I just love the up and down of it all. It was a fun scene. I also love the shark scene. That was fun. Yeah, that was a fun scene. They they were very specific to put in zombie sharks. Zombie so, sharks. Uh, so I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm iffy on whether or not I like the ship as like this this skeleton thing that just eats another ship, right? Um, but the zombie sharks for sure. The zombie one sharks of the are better great. parts of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, they they were just a lot of fun, and to see them underwater. And this is a this is a part where I did where I wasn't annoyed by slow motion either, like when the sharks jump up, mm-hmm. I actually got to see the detail of both the inside and the outside of these sharks, and I thought that that was cool when it jumps over the ship like free willy, you yeah. know, and it goes to take a bite out of them. I was like, oh, that's sort of cool. That was awesome. It was. I really liked the shark sequence a lot. It was good stuff. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that too. It was somewhat inspired too. It's new. It was it was something new that I hadn't seen before either. I mean, it takes our love of sharks and zombies. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh man, <laughs> better rewrite Sharknado. Shark, no kidding. Which, by the way, I'm looking forward to that one. It's called uh, Global Swarming. <laughs> so, it's gonna be awesome. I'm very excited. August fourth, I believe. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit too about um, Harvey Arbardown. Okay. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, as 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 our new villain Salazar. Uh I was on board from the trailer. And mm-hmm. and um the, like the first time we see him and he's looking for Jack Sparrow and making him this ghost uh you know and putting him in this makeup which took about 3 hours his hair obviously was CG but I thought it was very well done. I really liked it. Now, it's interesting because his wife Penelope Cruz was in On Stranger Tides. And she, am I correct? Penelope Cruz was in Blow, right? With Johnny Depp. So obviously, I think there was a friendship there, okay? Um, So she's doing On Stranger Tides. She was pregnant at the time. um, And Javier Bardem had come to the set a few times. And what he said was he was always impressed that, A, um, the care that they had we're, we're, we're focusing on his wife, uh, mm-hmm. Penelope, because she was pregnant of the making of the movie. And he was very happy about that. But uh, And then added to that, he was amazed by the details on the set that he got to walk in. He's like, I felt like... He goes, I would pick up a, a book or something, and there would be there would be stuff... There would be detail carved into wood that we as the audience would never, ever see... But they took the time to put it in there anyways. And he said he was so impressed. And when he was asked to do this movie, for, the first thing he did was he went to Penelope and, you know, and said, hey, I had this possibility I could be a villain. Did you have a, like, what, what do you think? She goes, oh, my God. Are you kidding? She goes, I had the best time. She goes, you have to do it. And so it, it's funny that that married couple, they play to uh, villains in a sense I don't know if Penelope Cruz is a villain so to speak but um, she plays off of Depp she's probably their chemistry is really good but him coming on board because of his wife I think I think that's a great story and he just and and he's and this is what I love about it when you hear about these newbies on set because you're filming this is the fifth movie right so Barbosa Gibbs like they're all family in a sense okay 
these new people on set, obviously Depp has to know Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. I mean, it's to some extent. Um, I just think that the, I, I love hearing how, nah, they, we just walked on set. It was a good time. It was work. It was good work. It was a lot of fun to be there. Uh, I love hearing that. Because usually you can sense if maybe it wasn't such a good time. Because they don't talk about it. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, they'll talk about how good the movie is, but they won't talk about their good times working on set. So I'm glad that he he played. He was a good villain. He was a good villain. <laughs> he was. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed him. I, I thought his backstory played well. Um, again, I thought the ship actually eating other <laughs> ships was a little bit over the top. But but other than that, um, I thought he as a character overall was was grounded. Yeah. Quite well. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. And I, I enjoyed the the triangle, if you will. The, the backstory to that. Yeah, the Devil's Triangle is, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It was really, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I like the story behind that as well. In a sense, it's their Bermuda Triangle, except this really, nobody's ever survived it. Um, and, and so um, I liked how he became this, this, this ghost. That's the other cool thing about the Pirates movies is that there's always this hint of the supernatural. Um, within these movies, whether they're curses or not, you know, Davy Jones, I mean, that whole ship, the whole uh, uh, Davy Jones's locker, um, becoming captain of that ship, there's that, that touch of the supernatural, which is always, they always put in there, and I really enjoy what they do. Um, so, you know, all, also we have Martin Kleba as Marty. He's Marty, like he's the, sh- he's the short gentleman, okay? Mm-hmm. He's been in all of these movies. Always fun to see. Um, the the gentleman who plays Gibbs has has been in these movies as well. Uh, he's always fun to be paired up with Jack. Um, Scrum actually uh, Stephen Graham. He's he's a character that comes from Stranger Tides. Again, again, I'm I'm glad that I got to watch all these movies now because I was like, I remember watching this, going, "Who is this guy?" Like, oh, and then when I saw, it, I was like, "Oh, okay, he comes from Stranger Tides." So. I like how they do their best to keep these people, um, you know, together uh, as part of Jack's crew and always finding things out. I guess my only thing is they seem to give up on him pretty quickly. <laughs> like when that whole thing, you know, at the bank, uh, you know, it's like, but they come back to save him because they were paid. <laughs> so, but that's, you know, you know, that's a they're pirate's not, life. They're not always the smartest, as no. the movie points out. Um. Yeah. So I'm. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad we talked about him and his backstory and right. and the makeup effect and and being that he it was three hours of makeup. Uh, he was going through a day, uh, and then he had to wear a special cap because that's the other thing I do appreciate. Like they did look, even when they were on land, they looked very ghostly, but they looked like ghosts from in the water. water. Yeah. I really thought that that was really cool. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um. And speaking of special effects, too, the youngifying of um, of uh, of our uh, the youthification, as they called it, of of Jack Sparrow. Um, you know, we're seeing this more and more in movies. The use of digital, um, whether we're creating old characters like Tarkin, um, I know that they specifically in, in things that I read specifically. Uh, talked about Rogue One, but nobody talked about 
Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two or Volume Two. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't um, think it was. Yeah, I, I don't think it was out yet. Perhaps at the time. Yeah, it might not have been out yet. Um, but what's interesting uh, that 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 the directors go on to say is it's like well, for Princess Leia, they didn't shoot Carrie Fisher, but this one Johnny Depp was there. He did have a. He did actually have a stand-in too. Um, to use as he was young, and apparently Johnny Depp wasn't really, he wasn't a hundred. He was not a hundred percent convinced mm-hmm. that it was going to work until he walked on set and he started standing, and he, saw, and he was able to see what they could do, and he was like, "Holy shit!" He's like, "Oh, okay, it's great." And they and they specifically went back to um, Twenty One Jump Street Johnny Depp, <laughs> which is cool. You know, I thought he looked, you know, for the. Five minutes on screen, I thought it looked pretty good. It wasn't gratuitous. We only had that small shot. Um, I know. Uh, I don't know. For me, I think um, <clears throat> because of Guardians of the Galaxy, because of Rogue One, I, I thought this one was done a little bit to a lesser extent. It wasn't quite as good to be to be honest. Yeah. If I'm being honest, yeah, and and uh, I would buy that. I think. Maybe I don't know if it was budgetary or whatever. He wasn't on screen maybe as much. Could have been like they did a good job with Kurt Russell. Yeah. I'm gonna say that that they did a really good job with Kurt Russell. Um, but I felt that you know f- for the time that he was on screen, I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing. I, I think part of the problem, perhaps, I, I'd have to do a little bit more research, but this is just my guess at it. Um, Kurt. He's in the woods, so it's not as you're not getting the direct sunlight, sure. so to speak. Um, obviously, Star Wars isn't the brightest of films generally, right? Um, so you're kind of inside the the spaceships and so forth, so you're not getting the best quote lighting. Um, whereas it, Captain Jack, it was the middle of the day on an ocean with a bright sun, right? So you know his face was clear as day. Yeah, and and um, you know something? It's funny that you talk about that because that was one of the challenges for the cinematographer, uh, Cameron, uh, who said that filming on a ship, like filming on a ship in daylight, they had to figure out lighting and grade the lighting as to whether or not, um, like because you would go about they were shooting like plates that aren't there yet. He goes, when you go back in post post production, are you, the question was put to him, is there much alteration to match the new plates? And he was like, no, I think the general thing in terms of matching lighting ratios and looks, he's like, I had a methodology to maintain the correct look throughout a sequence, knowing where it's see, as you're saying, it's going to be late afternoon. So a lighting ratio would be like something like three to one or four to one. Um, something like that. Not a bright day. Well, he said a bright day could be four to one, but there'd be diffuse clouds and things. So these are all the challenges that a cinematographer had to think about. And then trying to match that if they're on a ship and then they did a scene that was on green screen, you know, but at least they could have the template of when they're outside and manipulate on green screen. So to your point, your point is correct. I mean, I think that was a very heavy challenge for them to try to even get that lighting correctly yeah. on his face. I don't think that the technology is quite there. The technology sort of frightens me just as a moviegoer. And that, not that the technology itself frightens me, 
But how far, how far will Hollywood go with this? I mean, in Rogue One, they pretty much used, um, you know, it was it was Governor Tarkin, and it was Peter Cushing, who's been dead, you know, sadly for many years, and they put in a stand-in and they did everything digitally, and that character was in the movie, for 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 a chunk of the movie, um, one of the first times. You know, they were, they, were, they were doing this. There was made much much ado. And we talked about the movie. It was Fast 7 with Paul Walker. Yeah. And again, some of the scenes were just sort of kind of... It's eerie. Um, Kurt Russell, I thought, looked really good. He sort of he, he sort of kind of reminded me back to his uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China days. Um, you know, and in this one, he's not on screen for a whole... Jack, Sparrow, Johnny Depp isn't on screen for a whole time, but you know, I just don't want it to be where they actually do, unless it's like a science fiction thing and they create a character like, I don't want them to use an actor who's been passed away and resurrect that that, that performance that performance. yeah, because ultimately know. it's not their performance so. ultimately it's not, and it's just a little bit It's I don't know, it's just eerie to me it's very ghost-like, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, I I, I get that sentiment. I, I I get where you're coming from. So, another thing that they worked on a lot too, believe it or not, was drone technology. They used a lot of drone technology in this, and so he, you know, again, the cinematographer was like, well, the, he recommended doing some of this. And traditionally, if we're at sea, we'd be able to do an aerial shot coming from a mile out and swoop down by the ship and go by as often times as you want. So maybe, a, you know, a CG trade-off of the crane shot we do in a boat or something. Is the good news with drones is he was able to take the ship a quarter of a mile out and fly it right into the ship and fly it right over into a close-up of Johnny Depp or another actor. So a quarter mile out. Um they actually built the, the, you know, he goes, that's something you couldn't do with, with an aerial shot. Um, and then he goes on, so it was pretty exciting to have the tool to do the photography in and around the ships. And fortunately, there was a company in Melbourne called XM2. And this is pretty much what they do. They, they build drones. You can almost call them a rig because catch this. They, <laughs> they talked to them about the idea of using an Alexa M on a drone and all the ships were fairly small, so basically they flew the red camera for projects up until then. The Alexa M is probably about two or three times the size, so they had to build a, a, a like a rig of a, a flying drone rig to 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 get this to get this camera on, which is about sixty five pounds. So we built a ship. The XM two built a ship for the Alexa M. We trained the pilots and the operators. And then that's how they were using a lot of drones to fly in and, and do all that stuff. And that's pretty amazing. Remember remember when we talked to uh, – remember we had Bill Smitrovich on? Mm-hmm. I'm going back because it was, it was a movie called Nowhere Man. No, it, was it was with Pierce Brosnan. Uh, November Man. No, November Man, sorry. November Man. And that was one of the first times – like drone technology was just starting to be used in film. Remember, mm-hmm. and we talked about that with him. And now look at what technology is doing with 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 drones and being able to cart like digital cameras around, and they could start off from a quarter of a mile out Absolutely. and get these sweeping shots. 
I think that's I think that's great. I think it's uh, you know, I think it makes filmmaking more. I think it makes it exciting. And now that I, you know about it, you know that they're not doing that digitally because right. there were times before they had to do that that entire shot. They'd have to build digitally, and now they can use that camera. I think that's fantastic. I love that. I do too. Um, one of the other things uh, that excited me, um, just in general, was that all the actors learned how to work with cannons and swords in pirate school. <laughs> Um, which uh, the late famed swordsman Bob Anderson, um, he was also the uh, what was it? What, uh, the lightsaber master who who fought battles as Darth Vader in the Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they they all went there and were taught. So, you know, I I, I like that. Yeah, know, in I terms mean, of the, the downside is, is is that they had to do it at Chuck E. Cheese, but no, <laughs> but you're right. No, I um... yeah, I mean, um, it just. To that point, right, the, the level of detail keeps that authenticity right. so it's not just, okay, we're make-believe. It's, no, we're, we were taught. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Absolutely. And that's another thing about these movies, um, particularly, um, um, particularly Curse of the Black Pearl. There is an amazing sword fight scene between Captain Jack Sparrow and Will Turner. Okay. That the Andy gets upped in Dead Man's Chest when there's a three-way sword fight going on, and then some of our characters end up on a big paddle wheel that's rolling down an island, and they're sword fighting. Great, great sequence. Uh, there are other scenes too with Kira Knightley brandishing a sword. I always love that. You know, th- that's part of any pirate movie from the Errol Flynn days um, of of the fencing. Uh, and I always get a sense that, okay, from a far shot, perhaps they're using a stunt double, probably. But when we're close, they look like they know what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, when you add in the sound effects of the clanking of the sword, um, you know, there's been no shortage of some great fencing taking place, some, some amazing sword play taking place in these movies. And, and I urge you, Phil, you got... Watch the fr- watch out. the first yeah because I mean you'll you'll go some of the set pieces I just go that's awesome it's amazing it really really is um, they they do a, they do a fantastic job um, absolutely um, let's since we've kind of touched upon the various things because um, I want to do I, I want to spend some time talking about um, the box office and all that let's but let's first talk about um, music. Sure. Um, simply because, obviously, a big thing. Hans Zimmer, very heavily involved in the first movies. Not involved yes. in this movie. However, um, one of his protege, uh, Jeff Zellini, he steps in and... Uh, is this a, it's, is it, it's Jeff Zanelli, I think. Z-A-N-E-L-L-I. Jeff Zanelli. I knew a Zanelli once. Um, I don't know if they're related. John Zanelli. I don't know. So, he takes the mantle and, uh, you know, you as someone who's... I mean, you know, again, for me, as someone who's not seen the other movies, the, the, the soundtrack is iconic. You can't get away from that score. You can no. you can pick it up from a mile away and recognize it. Oh, that's the pirate movie, even if you've never seen sure. it. Sure. Like, if you're someone like me. And um, and so, obviously, a big choose to live up to. Um, it's good that he's a protege of mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer. But I wanted to hear from your perspective, someone who loves score a thousand times over. Yeah. 
How, how does this stand? I own, listen, I own all the pirate scores, and what I was most amazed about this, okay? So, okay, when you can't get Hans Zimmer, and whether that was budgetary or whether that was a conscious de- decision, you go to Jeff Zanelli. I mean, number one, I think what he does, what I think that he does great in this score is that he, it, he doesn't make the score bombastic. You know, I, I think that Hans Zimmer has, has become a little bit too big. Um, and I think that some of his later scores in movies, uh, whether it's like Batman versus Superman or whatnot, they're almost too loud. You know, when he was working with Christopher Nolan, setting up the Batman themes, even the early Pirates movies, you're right. He said he makes an iconic, makes a very iconic score, and it really does match and, and keep and pushes the pacing of a movie and makes it, it, it makes what it, it makes what you believe a pirate movie to be. It helps making it exciting. And Jeff doesn't overplay the part. He does a really good job. I mean, if you were to close your eyes and not know this Jeff Zanelli guy, you could think. I mean, obviously, he's a protege. He's worked on all of the pirate movies, okay, um, that Hans Zimmer scored. You know, he's, he does it. I thought he did it. I, I was listening to the score on the way up. He does a great job. does a really great job. You say that it's an iconic score. The score has become so iconic as well that they've incorporated in, into the ride now. Well, okay. I, I would imagine, yes. So it's want to. in the ride. Um, so when you hear those beats, dun, 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 that's Jack Sparrow's theme. It's, it's, it's great. And, and I think that he did a really, really good job. And, you know, it's his first time doing this on his own in a Pirates movie. He's had familiarity with it. And he started writing, believe it or not, a year before they shot. Um, You know, because he talks about uh, this interview um, from Coming Soon. Uh, He talks about, you know, intelligent way that you kind of plot the music based around the narrative arc of the characters. Does does the approach apply here? And he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, in fact... Um, that was one of the luxuries on this because they had that script and were working on it. He was able to have a script and he had plenty of time. He knew the script. He knew how things were going to evolve. So he was able to like come up with themes for Karina Smith. Um, so I, and, and I think he really nails it too. You know, I mean, I think he does, he does Hans Zimmer a, a fantastic service and Hans Zimmer was a really good tutor uh, or a mentor, in a sense, and he doesn't become Hans Zimmer, you know, because again, the score could have been overly bombastic, but it wasn't. I felt it. I felt it helped move this movie along, and I've enjoyed listening to the soundtrack as well uh, on on its own without the visual. It's it's like okay, I like it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Um, <clears throat> I thought it kept things going. Um, just even as we talked about that that opening. Bankai scene. I think that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun, and and obviously you have the moments when it goes silent because we cut to her, and and then we're back to the action, and then we're back to um, Henry, and so forth. So nice combination of 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 all those elements. Yeah, and and music has been a. I I think music has played a very important part throughout the entire series. They're just sound cues that if you've watched the movies that just come on, and you're like, okay. And then when it comes to the sword fighting as well. Um, 
it just it harkens back to that old day of swashbuckling adventure, and that's what the score captures the most. Well, you know, even to that point, um, the first time we're about to go to sea, but you know, I, I I can't do it. But just imagine like this great swell of music. Everything's yeah. very exciting. We got we got great shots. We got smiling faces, and then boom, the ship stops. Everything. Everything stops. Yeah. So it, it uses all those elements quite well. To, Very well. Um, for um, not only, yeah, I mean, to, to raise all emotions, in this case, comedic. Yeah, absolutely. So. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, all right. So um, a lot of promotion went into this, um, which, you know, we can certainly talk about. When, when you basically, over $100 million dollars. Supposedly into into the um, promotion of this movie. I mean, we're talking so many different trailers, so many different versions. Um, so instead of necessarily talking about all those, um, by the way, my favorite is um, the Lego version of the uh, of the sharks of the sharks in the ship. Um, I think Legos have become so fun, and I just feel so uh, I feel so upset that I'm missing out on a what is an exciting time as a kid. You know, it's and, and Lego has made such a great, amazing pact with, with Disney because they own all the popular franchises, right? So they got Pirates of the Caribbean, they got Marvel, they got the Star Wars, and and Lego has just made such um, whether it being a video game or whether kids can build a Star Destroyer or the Black Pearl or you know their favorite superhero. Uh, Lego has uh, has done just a fantastic job, um, where not only kids, but I, you know, you don't, 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 you can be a kid at heart, Phil. I mean, come on. I need some time I mean, before you know, I can be a kid. You can be a kid at heart. Like you can enjoy Legos. Hey, we've seen the Lego movies. Lego do they movies play? Do they play just straight for kids? No, absolutely no. not. And I think that's where their strengths lie. Absolutely. You know, so it's fun stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, as I said, in our rundown, you can get the whole list of all the when the trailers came out for the Super Bowl and everything and the details of that. But let's I want to talk about a trailer if we can, sure. um, because I found it very, very interesting. And again, yes, we all know Johnny Depp is going through and continues. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of personal issues happening. I'm not going to drudge him up. Uh I don't know the man, but th- there's lots going on in his life. And to your point, too, when you said earlier in the show about maybe after Lone Ranger, you know, is this a Johnny Depp thing? Is there is there fatigue? And let's be honest, some of his past films haven't really been, you know, they haven't been doing what they're, we're used to, you know, doing. Um, you know, he was fantastic, however. I mean, I thought he was sort of kind of robbed. Um, from from Black Mass, thought he was great. I thought that was going to really be his comeback. In fact, um, but I found it interesting in Dead Man's Chest that the very first trailer, there was no Johnny Depp, there was no Captain Jack Sparrow in the trailer at all. Mm-hmm. He doesn't show up until I'm not even sure if he was in the second trailer or the third trailer. But they did not use Captain Jack Sparrow as a marketing tool uh, in that first teaser trailer. Like at all, he was mentioned because it's the scene where Salazar comes into uh, 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 Enemy's room um, and and um, you know it's the the jail cell, and we know he's looking for Jack Sparrow, but it's not. They didn't use him at all. They didn't use him as much, as particularly at the beginning. And I wonder if that was a conscious decision to 
to, to not overutilize him <clears throat> because of everything going on. Maybe. I, I, I forget um I forget the trailer, so I do apologize. Um you know, maybe because it's Disney, maybe it's the Star Wars thing of let's leave intrigue, like where's you know, the when when Force Awakens came out, it's um you know, where's Luke? So in that sense, again, I could be completely wrong and you can tell me in one second, but uh yeah, maybe it's like where's Jack? Type of thing. Yeah. Because it obviously worked for Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know. Um, I just remember the first time seeing the trailer. I thought it was very interesting that there was no Jack Sparrow because up until then, they were hanging their pirate hat on Jack Sparrow yeah. to, to sell these movies and to bring in audience. Like I said, that character has had such an amazing evolution because, again, when you watch this, particularly the first movie, he's just the guy. He's the fly in the ointment. You know, he's not the movie's really not about him, but his presence is felt by through every character of the movie. And he was so good and so entertaining to watch that he became obviously the most popular character. And obviously you needed him in the second and third movie. But Stranger Tides is interesting because that's the first movie that a we don't have Gore Verbinski in the helm. Uh, Rob Marshall, um, no Kira Knightley, no Orlando Bloom in the movie, and this movie definitely had to stand in the shoulders of Johnny Depp. You know, I mean, it had to. So it's interesting. We're going to make a sequel now. We're going to make Dead Men Tell No Tales, and they didn't use him at the beginning. So that, and I, you know, I don't know what they were thinking, but maybe they said, you know what, he's. Let's let's just say it's going to be about him, but we're not going to show Johnny Depp, and we'll see if the audiences like it or not. Well, to that point... Very interesting. Uh, so, as of May 31st, um, I have that it grossed $89.6 million in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, actually, um, I can, we, can modern, uh, we can bring it up as of uh, June 1st, uh, thus far, 93. 93. 93, as I just hit a refresh on that. What do we got worldwide, then? Well, worldwide, now this is interesting. Um, and this is factoring into sequels and whatnot, okay? Worldwide, uh, our foreign take thus far is $297 million. Is that still foreign from today or is take, that from... That was from today. And we're looking at a $390 million worldwide, okay? It's foreign gross thus far is 76.2% of the gross, the worldwide gross, okay? Um it's opening weekend domestically was $62.9 million, okay, almost 63. And that's, um, and, and I think it was 75 for the four day, right? But here's, here's the interesting thing. I believe, because because of this movie, I, I was thinking about this. Um, is domestically, is the United States no longer the superpower of movies? Like, Everybody would. Everybody looks at the states for how a movie grosses. Okay, but now as our world is getting more global with with, with technologies, they're able to capture grosses worldwide. And before grosses were used worldwide to sort of kind of pad, puff up a gross. And now when I'm looking at grosses like this, right, movies are becoming. Um, they've always been a big export for us. And now that we've opened doors to China, right, for movies, 
Now it's become even bigger. So when a movie like Pirates of Dead Men Tell No Tells can be 297 million and it accounts for 76 percentage of the entire worldwide gross, it just makes me wonder, internationally, do they treat movies better than we do? Because they're actually paying and going to the movies. And granted, there are more territories than the 50 states. I understand that, okay? But places like China, Japan, Asia, Mexico is really big. It's becoming an export. And is it becoming a bigger player because, like, they always say domestically here, because I read up on the stories, box office is down, box office is down, okay? And we're fractured because of technology and in which ways people can watch their media, whether it be on an iPad, whether it be on an iPhone. They say that has a lot to do with it. Netflix is constantly trying to hammer away at our video windows. But overseas, not so much the case. It's very interesting. There was a big thing about Cannes and the film festival, and Netflix was going over there. And they were being braggadocio about breaking down windows. And China has already said, you know what? Screw you. We're going to boycott your Netflix movie over here. Um, we just got we just got China to like freaking adhere and crack down on piracy big time. That's how we've opened up our doors. And so it just makes me wonder if it does $297 million, if a sequel is to be had of Dead Men Tell No Tales, it's not going to be because of domestic. It's because they're going to make it for the foreign territories. And a story I've told here before is uh, from Fox, 20th Century Fox. They were making a second Percy Jackson movie. And I remember talking to a guy that I knew going, the first one didn't, what the hell, like why? He goes, oh, we're not doing it for here. We're doing it for overseas. So Johnny Depp obviously has cachet. Pirates of the Caribbean as a, as a franchise has cachet. Maybe not so much over here, but definitely overseas. And it's very scary to me because I always looked at America like movies are a part of Americana. And, uh, you know, if they're going to start to make movies for overseas more than here, that's sort of a weird shift. Well, I mean, I think, you know, some can attribute to it. It's a sign of just how we, where we're at politically it's it's could it, it, in some sense it could be a good wake-up call both politically and movie-wise and everything like that um to that point you I know didn't, it, i hope i didn't bore anybody with this with this thesis i mean but i just think particularly when you look at this movie right which has been a franchise it's been a popular franchise and it's this you know, it's slowing, slowing down here considerably. It hasn't even broached a hundred well, million yet. We'll talk about it too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of factors that people are talking about in terms of Baywatch, which also came out with this, which we'll talk about next. Um, so check that out if, if you saw that movie. But, but um, you know, it kind of leads into Rotten Tomatoes and critics and things like that. And a lot of people are saying, like, you know, there's just a huge disconnect in how, how critics are ruining movies basically in America. Because, I mean, if you look at this score, it's got a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Um, it, it's fluctuating between 31 and 30, let's just say 30, um, as of now. Not a great score. I don't think it's deserving of what it ultimately is. Um, and, you know, there's been, because of because of Baywatch more in particular than Pirates, but you could, I, I, I can attribute it to Pirates. Yeah, it's suffering here because of it, perhaps. 
I have a whole. I was going to save it for Baywatch. I can do it here. We can talk a little bit of Baywatch. But here's my whole thing: as as a film reviewer, as a film critic, as a person who loves to talk about movies. Listen, Phil. You know, I'm Mr. Ego. I mean, I'm amazed how you fit into this room with my ego, right? I mean, I would love to say that my opinion would sway our, our kind viewers who give their time to watch us as to whether or not they see a movie, but 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 it doesn't. To to, to blame Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it, it that the, that complaint is a I'm a crying no because here's the reason why. Here's there are plenty of movies out there, okay, that. If if you want to see a movie, there, there are movies they call that are critic proof. Okay, if you want to see a movie, if you love Pirates of the Caribbean, you're going to go see that movie. Okay, where Rotten Tomatoes comes in, and here's another perfect example: uh, Suicide Squad. That was one of the worst reviewed movies of the of last year. Didn't stop it from making hundreds of millions of dollars, well more than Dead Men Tell No Tales, okay? Same thing with Batman vs. Superman, didn't get the best um, reviews going. And the thing of it is, if people, it's what people really want to see. Now, if you're a casual fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, right? And you see a 30%, that may sway you from going. If you, if it was, if you had a choice of movies, you might not go see Pirates because of that 30%. But if you're in, you're in. Now, on the converse side, how many movies have we talked about that have gotten 80%, 90%, and right? People, yeah. And people don't go. Like, you know, you can use in a sense, you know, we talked Alien Covenant, which did okay at the box office, but we've talked about a lot of other movies that, that, that did really well from a critic standpoint. It didn't really help push the needle there, Right. So to blame it on Rotten Tomatoes is you're pointing a finger at something that's really not entirely true. My thing is make a damn good movie. Just make a good movie. And you know what? People are going to come out and then going to, they'll like it. You'll get good reviews. And that's what spurs our business. In fact, I would say that it's Rotten Tomatoes that helps that middle movie. When it comes to Academy Awards season, when it comes to that smaller film, um, uh, uh, any like Ex Machina, uh, I think is a good example, right? People go see it. They really like it. They'll talk to their friends about how good of a movie it is. And then those people might go on Rotten Tomatoes and see that it's in the 90 percentile. They're going to go see that movie. No. So it perpetuates. I mean, it's a whole thing. But if if you're not, if you're sort of kind of on the fence, Rotten Tomatoes may sway to dissuade you. A critic, whatever that critic may say, could sway you. But if you really want to see the movie, the only thing that it's going to do, Rotten Tomatoes, is for, for me, right? I'm a really very big Pirates of the Caribbean fan, right? So when I go on to Rotten Tomatoes and I see it 30%, I get disappointed. I'm like, oh, bummer. Well, but I'm going to go see it. Yeah. And make up my own mind so I can talk about it here. And many times this has happened to us too. How many times have we seen really shitty reviews on Rotten Tomatoes? We come back and go, what the hell were they thinking? No. That happens too, right? So, I mean, I guess in essence, yeah, you're as confused as perhaps I am at this point. It only, I mean, it's a couple of things, you know, yeah, I guess you can attribute... Um, franchise fatigue 
that certainly can play into it. Um, you could attribute, um, obviously, obviously, the changing landscape. So th there's a variety of factors in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, and what, what shocks me kind of most, I guess, is, you know, um, especially here with kind of everything, you know, everything is so political. You can't, to me, I can't go anywhere without someone talking about what's going on politically. Right. And so you would think uh, a, someone on a movie like this or, you know, um, comedies in general, like it, it, that there would be a sense of escapism. Um, and ironically, there's not. And so I'm even further confused by that. Therefore, yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't, and neither do I, Phil. And that's why I'm saying, are we losing becoming the... Is Hollywood making movies for the United States of America? Like, because is it having the same effect? Does movie going have the same effect that it used to, say, 10 years ago? I mean, it certainly isn't like it was in the 80s, like the late 70s or mid-70s into the 80s. People were clamoring for solid entertainment. I mean, the, 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 those years solidified Robert Zemeckis and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and the like and, and made, you know, Eddie Murphy stars and Sylvester Stallone. Things have changed so much that, again, I just wonder when I look at such a gross and it's 76 percent of the gross is overseas. Do they take movie going more seriously? Do they look at this entertainment far more seriously than we do? Because we become so fractured and we'd rather watch or play a video game. Movies haven't become, and this is, this is sad to me, it bothers me, and it scares me, where movies aren't, <coughs> unless it's a superhero movie, like, and this is why originality is fading away, like, movies aren't becoming, they're, they're maybe not <coughs> as important as they used to play a role in society, because to your to your point, you're right. People would go for the escapism. I got to get out. I'm so inundated with what's going on politically in the world. Like, you would go to the movie to have a good time. And for whatever reason, franchise fatigue. Um, the cost, the, you know, the cost of movies continually rises. But I say it's matched by the technology that's out in the movie theaters. Yes, $13 for a matinee and an XD screen can be considered very expensive. But if you try to go to a baseball game, you ain't getting in for 13 bucks unless you got not so good of a team. And, you know, then when you factor in those concessions as well, it's still a well, relatively... Baseball's a whole other thing. Cause... Well, I'm just, baseball yeah. or a football game? You can't go to a football game for $13. You know, you just can't do it. So it's still a relatively monicum affordable thing to do for entertainment but what's happening like we should be supporting movies and granted 50 states does not compare it to the rest of the world because it's the rest of the world I, I understand that but they obviously there's there's a drive there's a passion to go to the movies there that seems to the the, the luster it needs to be waxed <laughs> Well, so. in that sense, the good news is that uh, uh, the directors have both stated that they would be interested in doing a sequel, and as evidenced by the post credit scene, um, we may very well get one of those. So, you know, uh, if if you really want another Pirates movie, which, you know what, I, I could go see, I, 
I would enjoy another one. Um, Please watch the first four. Please. I'll definitely watch at least the first one. Okay. I'll definitely watch the first one, which I guess leads us to our final final thing. Uh, Dimitri's ranking. Yeah. I can't rank the movies because mine would just be a toss of the coin. Yeah, I mean, I you know, again, watching the whole, watching all these movies again, it brought me back. And so my ranking of these movies, obviously, Curse of the Black Pearl, which was the first one, that's the one that started it all. That's my, you know, the favorite. It's a movie based off of a Disney theme park attraction. And, and again, the country or the movie going audience goes into this going, how good can it be? And it turns out that it was very good. It was, this was solid quality entertainment we've seen johnny depp like we'd never seen him before it made stars out of kieran knightley and i mean orlando bloom was popular um because he was lord of the rings but now he's in a second franchise and the girls just loved him it's a very good movie my second one is is dead man's chest the second movie in the franchise to me i i call it it's the empire strikes back of the series i mean you've got excellent set pieces you have a great villain in 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 um delivering us uh uh davy jones uh you've got character growth and you got a hell of a twist ending where as at the very end barbosa shows up who is who is who is who is uh, in in black in uh, curse of the black pearl and again it it ends on this this down note uh johnny uh captain jack sparrow is taken to davy jones's locker he's eaten by a kraken um but it's it, it's just it's a really solid movie and my third i'm actually going to stranger tides um this is this is proceeding. This is the fourth movie rob marshall takes the reins from from gore verbinski um there is a fun chemistry for me between Johnny Depp and Penelope Cruz. And of course, you know, we have Barbosa in this again. And it's a race for the fountain of youth. And it has awesome looking mermaids. Um, you know, you got Blackbeard. And there's a great uh, Captain Jack Sparrow escape thing in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's just, if you like the, uh, the bank robbery in this movie... The opening to Stranger Tides, I think, was done much better. It was it was fantastic. And then I think fourth for me is actually Dead Man's Chest. If you're looking at the rundown, there's a typo because it says Dead Man's Chest again, which is oh, Dead Man. Uh, Dead, Dead, Dead Men Tell No Tales. My, my bad. Sorry. Now, again, continuity issues aside, um, you have a good new female lead character. Javier Bardem we talked about is a lot of fun. Um you know Barbosa's backstory, Jack's backstory, it's all in there. But for but for me as a fan of the show, Will and Elizabeth returned uh, and reunited those characters, and they really are the heart of the first three movies. And then my 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 last one, the fifth for me, is At World's End. I mean, this is a movie. It has a three hour one runtime. It's close to three hours. The movie is very bloated and very overly convoluted. It's hard to keep up who's double-crossing who, who's selling out who, where the compass is, where this is. Great special effects. There are some good sword-fighting set pieces. There's a scene that takes place in a maelstrom that I remember seeing this in 3D in a theater that looked amazing. Um, You know, and it does tie up uh, the thread line of Elizabeth and, and and of Will Turner, but ultimately, I think the movie just sinks under its own weight. Um, so there's my ranking. I'd love to hear your ranking, what you think of the Pirates movies. Um, you agree, disagree? Let me know. Yeah. Um, so there you have it. That wraps it up. 
uh, for us, again, um, because the franchise is so large, we can talk about various other things. But that's why we have the comments. Sure. That's why we have you guys to initiate that conversation <clears throat> and to talk with you guys there, um, converse, if you will. Uh, so we, we always enjoy that. Keep doing it. Uh, the conversations are nothing short of lively. Absolutely. And that's what, and that's what, it's what draws me to this show from, from day one. I mean, we're just talking, we're not talking politics. This isn't CNN. We're, we're talking about movies. And the pirates have a code, so this gets political at times. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for joining us um, at D Movies seventeen oh one is where you can. Hey, uh, and on in a serious note, I think I just passed two hundred supporters on Look Twitter. Look at that! Look at that! We went from five last week to two hundred. I, I know. Well, one hundred ninety five of them were bots. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, thank you, folks, and and thanks for writing in too. Um, so thank you guys as always. Um, you could uh, follow Marissa at Serafini TV. It's a shame that she didn't uh, get to join us for this one, um, but she will be back next week certainly. Um, and uh, follow follow me at philsvitek.com. You can get all the stuff there. Keep checking out other episodes. This is our first Pirates movie we've done um, as Anatomy of Movie. Which is crazy. So apologies that we don't have the other ones, but hopefully we gave you guys enough of a discussion. But plenty of other movies. I mean, we have... We're going close to 400 um, movies overall. So. We need a press release out because that's a hell of a lot of movies. See, hear that, fans? You got to write a press release. Write a press. Yeah. Get going. Get off the air, please. Um, we've got uh, we've got tons of uh, great movies coming up. Um, Wonder Woman next week. We've got uh, we might have, we'll have a full house one way or the other for that movie. <laughs> that I can promise you. Um, a lot of good buzz on that one. We we're doing Baywatch today. Um, and tons of other movies oh, coming up. Dunkirk. Spider-Man, Dunkirk, Spider-Man oh, Homecoming. God. Cars 3. Yeah, so much to talk about. Um, but enough talking on this episode. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, all. Bye. See ya. Svitek and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.